Welcome to the Polaris PT Podcast. Join us as we dive into all aspects of health and wellness, from physical and mental to relationships and spirituality with leading experts and luminaries from a broad spectrum of specializations. I'm your host, Dr. Brig Woods, performance physical therapist and owner of Polaris PT and Wellness. Today on the podcast, I have Joel Anderson. Joel Anderson is the current head wrestling coach at Queen Creek High School, as well as the varsity football strength and conditioning coach. He is an Aleko Barbell International Master Educator, U.S. Police Fire Games National Champion, World Police Fire Games Champion, husband to a certified badass, and father to four amazing kids. All right. Thanks for coming down, Joel. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me, man. Yeah, man. So... Dude, uh, we've known I've known Joel for a long time. Uh, what, ten years? Yeah, at least our family, like just from high school, your family and everybody. It's yeah. been some connection for a long time, right? So Joel, if you've never seen him before, as big as a house, he's six two. He's two like are you two forty five? Two sixty. Two sixty. Yeah, dude. How? So Joel is the only. Were you two sixty when you were doing over the gymnastic stuff? Uh, about 250. Okay. I was within about 10 pounds. So the only dude that I've ever seen, he's about 6'2", 250, and did a perfect L-sit, hand-over-hand climb with the 20-foot rope. Gymnastics was fun. Dude knows what he's doing. Um, so what's it's interesting, so we met, I met him through CrossFit. He's known my family for a long time. My brother, right, used to own that gym. Yep. Um, but I always remember it being interesting. You had some gripes about CrossFit in general and not the, I mean, CrossFit's great as a modality, but sure it's open to criticism. But I remember you talking about like, it was just the application of the, yeah, the ideas of CrossFit. I think CrossFit as a methodology is phenomenal. It's done amazing things for, I I would say all strength sports across the board. Um, I think it's the application, you know, I mean, I think like everybody, it's like beating a dead horse, you know, performing Olympic weightlifting for maximal reps under a time duration, for something that is so highly technical and takes so long to master the technique of that uh, when you start doing, you know, 30 clean and jerks for time, are they really clean and jerks on set number 27? Or is it more of a reverse curl and a really ugly strict press? Right. Yeah. And that's uh, that that was kind of the thing that I I remember you talking about, which then you developed, you had your own place, black box training. Yeah. So I, I, I started a small gym and like I had never even been into CrossFit. I had slowly followed it. This was a long time ago and there was a competition coming up and I had competed in the police and fire games in an event that was somewhat like the decathlon. Okay. Um, You didn't just compete, right? You won it. Yeah. I won the U S games four years in a row. And then I went to the world games and won when I was in Adelaide, Australia. That's not, that's, that's no, so like, well, the thing was, is so it was the eight events and the eight events for this, this competition I was in was a 5k a shot put, 100-meter dash, 100-meter swim, a 20-foot rope climb without the use of your legs, maximum bench press, maximum pull-ups, and an obstacle course. So you did all eight events in about eight hours, and each event was scored like USA track and field would run the 100-meter dash, USA swimming. So the rules were all within the national governing bodies for the events. Some of the events were unorthodox, like the rope climb, so there aren't like specific rules for that. Right. You know, you when your butt comes off the ground, your feet can't touch the rope or the ground, you know, things like pull-ups, they divide that an anti-kip device that would be like about six inches off of your chest. And then they had a metronome. So you could only do one pull-up every three seconds and you weren't allowed to knock over or touch the anti-kip device. Oh, wow. So your pull-ups, everything was very, very strict. So I competed in that. 
for quite a while. Um, and so I just finished that and I was kind of retired and this, uh, the IACS is what they called it, but it was all these conglomerate of CrossFit gyms that were going to do a once a month team competition. So each CrossFit gym could enter a team and it was co-ed. And so I was ready to start competing with my wife rather than just doing it individually. So I grabbed my wife and then I grabbed another friend that I actually met at, at, at LA Fitness, Gmo and his wife. So we basically just decided to, to, hey, let's jump into this and try it. And I'd never been into a CrossFit gym in my life. So we entered a CrossFit competition for a team and we'd never, well, I had never, I know Gmo had done a little bit, but I'd never been in a CrossFit gym ever. And so we signed up and competed and I think it was four months in a row. And so me and my wife and Gmo and his wife and we ended up winning the whole thing. Did you guys? Oh, I, I, yeah. I never followed it through. I competed <clears throat> in a couple of those events, but I never followed it all the way through to see yeah. who won the whole. You guys won the whole thing. We did. That doesn't surprise me. It was cool. Yeah, um, dude, I remember. Well, your wife is a savage in her own right too. Yeah. So my wife is. So she started out. So I have four kids. So she wasn't into competitive. She grew up in Alaska, oh, wow. and her father passed away at a young age, and then her mom got remarried. And, Long story, moved to Yuma. She graduates, moved back to Alaska, but she never really had a real athletic youth. And then we had four kids. And uh, probably after our second or third kid, she was like, hey, look, like, I want to get in shape. Like, I want to start working out. So she started running. She wanted to be a runner. So I trained her to be a runner. And I want to say, like, her best, she ran a, she could run a, a sub six minute. So this is at like 30, 32, 33 years old. She could yeah. run a sub six minute mile. And she wasn't, hadn't been a runner previously. No, never. Wow. And then she ran a 10K and averaged right at seven minute miles. Yeah. And so she did running for a while. Then she got into powerlifting and she set some powerlifting records. Um, and then she decided she wanted to compete. So when the IFBB came out with the physique division and right. Dana Lynn Bailey had just come out and started winning, that was kind of her physique. So she wasn't, she was very athletic built, but she's always naturally been very muscular. Yeah. So some friends were like, hey, you should compete in this. And she's like, no, you know, she has no idea. So she she does it. And I think on her fourth show, she's now, she's an IFBB pro yeah. in women's physique. And so now she competes in women's physique and she's 46 years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What is So what do you have to do? I, 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 that's a world yeah. dude, that I don't know it's crazy. anything about <laughs> other than like, there's a lot of body dysmorphia and a lot of eating disorders. A hundred percent. But um, what does that take to get your, your so for your pro IF, card? Your pro card. So you have to do a local show. So like here locally, um, the NPC, the National Physique Committee, they run the local shows. So this is like the minor leagues of the IFBB, right? Okay. So you have to go and win an NPC show in your division. So they're calculated by heights. Sometimes it's by age, sometimes it's not, but your division. So like women's bodybuilding has kind of gone away. Okay. And so there's basically bikini, uh -huh. figure, and physique. Oh, and okay. And bikini is, people get mad at me, but a big butt, small waist, and big boobs. Yeah, your Instagram model. Yeah, yeah. And then figure is going to be a little bit more muscular than that with a little broader shoulders. Now, and, and they wear and, high heels. And, and that one, are you looking for a striation or are you just looking yeah, for a little more Yeah, you can't be too definition? hard though. A little, right. more, a little more defined than bikini, okay. but not as defined as physique. Gotcha. So then physique, when it first came out, the, the standard of the division was like an athletically built all around 
female, right? So it wasn't women's bodybuilding because they didn't want, they punished actually oh. too much size or too hard of a look. Yeah. So it was kind of this happy medium. It was a new division that's kind of found its way. But I will tell you, so every year, the divisions just push farther and farther towards women's bodybuilding, right? <laughs> so like my wife, like she'll, she'll, she'll go and compete in pro shows and very rarely will she ever get first call outs. Okay. She's just not big enough. She's just, and she doesn't want to get any bigger. No. But it's one of those to where like the way that her body proportions are don't lead towards figure. You have to have a longer torso and there's, like you said, like CrossFit, it can get crazy technical and it's exactly the same way for that. But the, the discipline and the nutrition is insane. Well, yeah, no, to no, yeah, the discipline and nutrition you have to do to that kind of stuff is insane. Like, I don't want to do it. No, like, like if, I've often said to people, I'm like, dude, one of the reasons why I don't have like crazy abs is because I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to eat that crap all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> you know like, I mean? you, like you're, we have to weigh your food, and that's and it's interesting because watching it in the last ten years, it's it's kind of it's done this weird shift where. Remember, uh, if it fits your macros, right? Macro right. counting got super popular. Well, it got super popular because all of these, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble. You know, 30 to 40-year-old. This is what podcasts are for. I know. The, get these, in trouble. These 30 to 40-year-old moms wanted to feel really good about themselves again. So they go back to the gym and they can compete in bikini or figure and get shape and they feel great about themselves. So it was, in my opinion, a very, very great thing, right? Yeah. People should feel good about themselves. Absolutely. So they and, learn. And people should be healthy. A thousand percent. And here's the thing. So they learn to start counting their macros, which is great, right? I mean, if you want to be healthy, it is a great way for you to calculate. But here's the I'm catch. Doing, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Well, here's the catch though. So if I'm allowed to eat, you know, 200 grams of carbs, the debate is, is where should those carbs come from? Right. Are because all carbs created equal? Exactly. So when, you know, when you get a macro counting thing and they tell you how many protein, how many fat, how many carbs you're going to eat, people were just eating crap. And listen, in, you know, in, in the way that biology and physiology really works, guess what? Like there's a debate, but it really is kind of calories in calories out. And I tell people, listen, you want to lose weight, cut your calories. Yeah. You want to improve your body composition improve the quality of your food. So you can lose weight just by cutting calories. But if you want to look really good yep. and lose weight, you have to eat high quality food and cut your calories. Yeah. Well, I did. So I, I you know, I, it's funny, like with all the education I have, I know better, but I did this thing. There's a company here in town that promotes some sort of like a, a weight loss plan. I mean, to, I was eating like 900 calories a day. Yeah. You're starving. Yeah. I was yeah. starving. And, and they're like, yeah, you shouldn't work out during this time. I'm like, yeah, no I wonder kidding. why. Yeah. yeah. But um, so, yeah, I dropped about, I went from 260 to 212 in six weeks. Yeah. And, but as I went and did my body comp, I lost 30 pounds of muscle. Oh, yeah. Easy. Like I lost all my muscle. So I was like, you know what? I don't really care how heavy I am. It's now it's about body comp. Yeah. It's overall health, right? I mean, you look at it and people don't. Trying to explain to people to understand like, hey, listen, your body doesn't just, oh, I'm only going to burn carbohydrates today or I'm only going to burn fat. Like when you- I'm going to get in that zone. Yeah. When you, when you burn off mass, weight, whatever, a certain percentage of that burn is muscle. It's just the way it is, right? And the way you eat, the way you lift, the way that you time your macronutrients, that's where the bodybuilding of the- the mad science, I, I call it, is 
where that's where you're saving muscle while you're burning extremely low percentages of body fat, right? Like yeah. when these physique competitors and bodybuilders start getting close to a show, like they're they're losing tenths of a percent of body fat and it's making a big difference in the look of their physique, but they're trying to not lose that hard lean mass that they've worked so hard for. And it really is just an incredible science. I mean, people don't understand how detailed and specific that it, if, if you really are at the, the pinnacle levels of the sport, it is nuts. Well, and interesting that, you know, I've, I don't know how much or what you think of Jim Stepani. Yeah. But you know, I read a lot of his stuff yeah. like, and he talks often about how you time your stuff yeah. and what you want to need to do. You need to eat this much protein. Like if you're going to keep your muscle, you got to eat like one and a half times your body yeah. weight in grams. Yeah. Right. Or he's like, Hey, you can time your carbohydrates. Sure. Have some candy, eat it right after you've just distract your muscles. Right. hundred percent. Like, like right before or after workout. Right. It's yeah, perfect. Because people don't get there is a huge amount of energy glycogen stored in your muscles. Oh, and, oh, and in your liver, right? right? I mean, you have, you have muscles. I, mean, I forget what it is. I read somewhere, but it's like, you know, if, if you're fully, fully saturated in glycogen, you almost have enough carbohydrates to nearly run a marathon without consuming another ounce of carb before you are actually completely de depleted. I mean, think about it. Yeah. If you're going to do keto, right? Right. It takes about two and a half to three days if you are a hundred percent strict for you to even go into ketosis. Right. So you have to deplete all those carbohydrates first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, if and, and if you're cutting calories so much, your body's going. Well, we need fuel. There's a whole bunch stored in those muscles. Let's strip them. Oh, hundred percent. And you think about it, and you know, you're, it's so much easier for your body to utilize carbohydrates than fat or burn muscle that of course it's always going to go to carbohydrates first, right? right? That's why like, you know, talking about Jim Stepani, you know, if you eat your carbohydrates right around that window of your workout, guess what? Your, your insulin levels don't spike, your blood sugars, you know, the, all those things are much more subtle because your body is immediately processing those carbohydrates to use, right? Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that's interesting too, like insulin levels, as I've sort of delved a little bit more, learning a little bit more about this world of bodybuilding, even some of the powerlifting stuff, um, like guys are trying to purposely spike insulin levels, right? Oh, for, for sure. I mean, if you've read about a lot of these bodybuilders that die, yeah, they're, they're abusing insulin. Yeah. Like people don't understand that insulin is probably one of the most anabolic hormones. Insulin is a hormone. Like that's the other thing. Whenever people think hormone, they just think like bodybuilder steroids, testosterone, all this sort of stuff. Well, insulin is a radically powerful hormone. Yeah. And look in the, in the sport of bodybuilding in order to win. And like you talked about the body dysmorphia and all these things, People are willing to do anything to try to achieve certain things. I mean, we already know that. And so if this will help them, they will abuse it. And I mean, it, it, it will kill you. Like, that's the other thing that I think is very dangerous in this world. And as it's processed is the, the consequences of using all of these performance-enhancing drugs and all this other stuff and the, the desire to win, but the ignorance around the use and the consequences of these substances is absolutely like it's shocking because people, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I was, I was a police officer for yeah. 20 years and you know, it, it's always boggled my mind that people would go to a rave and just take pills from somebody out of their pocket and hand them to them and be like, Oh, this is great. Like ecstasy is, you know, you just sit here and like, they don't even know what it's made of, but they just don't care. They'll take it. And you know, every year we would have kids just flat die 
and be like, dude, there is no, like, this isn't like you picked it up at the pharmacy. Like some dude made this in his garage. Like this is breaking bad, like in real life right, right. here. Some dude in Apache Junction yeah. made this crap. But it's the same way with this performance enhancing drugs and people just, like I said, ignorance will get you killed. Yeah. Some nice guy gave it to me out of his gym bag. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> He's pretty big. It must be good. Yeah. You know? Well, it, and, and that's the other thing, right? Anytime, because I imagine in these, I... IBBF, yeah, IBBF pro competitions. There's some money in, in, involved. Oh yeah, and yeah. So anytime there's money involved in always. any kind of competition, always you're always going to get. Hundred percent. And it's not. They're not tested. No. I mean, come on. Go watch the Olympia. There isn't a single person that's going up there to win the Olympia that's going to try to pretend to say, Yeah, I'm completely natural. Right. I mean, come on. We've all seen bigger, faster, stronger. No. Anytime. Well, the, so there was a paper. I oh, back to the CrossFit thing. These guys who helped people in like bodybuilding, NFL, all these other big sports beat their drug testing oh, yeah. and use the stuff basically took the bodies of the top 10. They go just based off of body composition alone. They analyzed the body composition of the top 10 guys in CrossFit at the time. And they said, that guy might be natural. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy overwhelmingly they, yeah, they, they just do a statistical analysis yeah. of body composition now, across that, the norm. Now, they're not saying that those guys were doing steroids, but they said our experience, our research, and everything that we do to help people beat systems and use PEDs, majority of those dudes are using. Yeah, and here's the thing. In, in, in a long time and even you know just being involved, man – there, there are just absolute freaks out there. Sure. And like super responders. So it's interesting because the CrossFit being so popular and being able to weed down, it's interesting because, you know, CrossFit tests pretty dang strict compared to almost every other sport. Well, now they do. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. But even, I mean, it's probably been five, six, seven years that they have. Sure. But you sit there and I would bet that currently – that the majority of the people on the top of the board are natural, and I'll even say now. Really? Right? Because they may not have been natural 10 then. years ago sure. or 15 years ago, yeah. but I, I think that they're already genetically blessed. They're already genetic freaks, yeah. and they've already had a background of athletic performance and training and all those types of things that... I mean, I, I don't know, maybe. I mean, CrossFit isn't making millions of dollars. No. You look at even, you know, Rich Froning and all these guys, you know, they're, they're starting their Froning Farms beef jerky. Do you know what I mean? They're starting yeah. other businesses in order to actually make a, a, a lifetime of wealth, you know? Yeah. You know, and you just look and I got to spend a little bit of time and talk to some of the guys that have competed in the team competitions and like you go there and you're, you're basically covering your training costs even if you win. Right. Yeah. Because those guys, they train. That's yeah. what they do all day. You can't get there without it. Nope. And so to that effect, right? You're married, you got four kids. Your wife obviously competes in this. Yep. You're obviously have competed in weights. I mean, I've seen on your social media, right? You're working out in your garage or your yeah, gym with your gym. kids, yeah. right? And so, dude, is it sometimes hard to keep your kids? Like, how do you, how do you guys keep your kids grounded as far as like maintaining a healthy perspective with like body dysmorphia, working out, being healthy? Uh, we, you know, we, we've always had a very health conscious direction in our family, right? Like we don't, I, I am not one of these, like, I, you need to be careful about every word you say around your teenage daughters. And I was like, so I have two daughters. One's well, no, absolutely not. But I'm like, one of my daughters is she's up at, in college at SUU and I have another daughter that graduates this year. And 
they both have been to sports. They've played every sport. They've done all this. My oldest daughter ended up being like a runner. So she ran cross country and track and that was kind of her thing. And my next daughter was a swimmer. So totally different realms. And it was one of those to where I always would be like, Hey, you need to understand what it's going to take if you choose to try to be elite at your sport. And so I was very, listen, this is your call because I can't go out there and run the miles for you and I can't put the food in your mouth. I can make it available and I can educate you. But the reality is, is like everybody in life, like you have to do the work. And so I would basically just teach them, look, in anything like, dude, in long distance running, it's probably one of the highest eating disordered sports in high school and college because you have to think about it. It's physics. If I add a pound of mass to my body and I need to run a mile, like I've read studies that one pound can add four seconds to your mile time. Yeah. Out of, you know, you, you talk about Watts of energy and all these things required to run a certain amount of mass, a certain distance at a certain speed. Well, if I can reduce the mass, I can run faster. And so a big problem that we have, especially in high school is generally girls that start high school, not all of them have hit puberty. So their bodies go through changes. So a lot of girls, they start their high school career in running and they are really fast. Yeah. And then they hit puberty and they actually slow down because their body changes, right? Hormonally, physically, all those things. And so they're now under this pressure. And a lot of times it comes from coaches and self-imposed of why am I not running as fast as I did? I'm still doing the same workouts, but they have to learn now to pair healthy nutrition habits with work ethic and allow their body to progress through puberty and balance itself out, right? And then by their right. junior and senior year, guess what? They're setting PRs and they're killing it. But there's that period of panic. And so I, I dealt with that a lot with my daughters, but I never, I made it very, very clear. Listen, if you gain 15 pounds of unhealthy weight, you will run slow. But if you eat healthy foods, your body will naturally find exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, You don't have to be excessive in one way or the other. If your body is fueled, fed, and feels good, it will perform good. And that's very different than eating what you want, when you want, how you want, because that won't work, right? My body craves Oreos and ice cream and all that other stuff. And Right. And I I like that you you frame it as... Look, if you have the fuel, the food, right? How you feel rather than you need to look, it was, it's, it's about function and performance rather than you got to look a certain way. Oh, you, you're looking a little heavy. You need to drop some weight. It's no, it's, do you want to perform? This is what you got to, you got to take care of it. We don't talk. Yeah. And that's one of the things I don't talk about. I don't, I like, even with my kids, like. Oh, you're, you're a little heavy. You're a little this. No, I mean, even my, my wife in the middle of competition, it's all for an end goal purpose, right? Like I need to get here for this. This is why I'm eating healthy so that I can get here and compete and do this. And then when she's done competing, she reverse diets and slowly cuts her cardio back and increases her calories over a long period of time so that her hormones and everything stay balanced and her body doesn't freak out. So I look at it as I think my kids have a really healthy relationship with food and they understand it. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I, who knows? I mean, I, th- I think so, but who knows the right way, the wrong way. I'm sure well, there's 10 people listening. They'll be like, this guy's an idiot and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And that's fine. And you know, I mean, I'm just, I, we just, I've, I've probably t- I say this every single time, but we just had our little boy eight months ago. Yeah. Right. Dude. 
I already know he's going to be on a couch somewhere blaming me for his problems at yeah. some point in his life, right? Yeah. No, I could have been the best parent in the world, but that's just that's just par for the course of parenting, right? Like yep. on some level, there's no manual. You're gonna you're gonna do something that's gonna that they're somehow gonna perceive or it's gonna be that way. And but as long as you have a better a, as good a foundation as you can, right? Yeah, it, it'll work itself out for sure. So, but but you also so that working with youth, not only in your house, but you're the head. Wrestling coach. coach. Wrestling so yeah, coach. talking about weight cuts. Yeah. yeah I mean, geez, but that's right? the funny thing. So I took over the, the Queen Creek high school wrestling program after the last season. So this was my first, we just finished. So this was my first full season oh. as the head wrestling coach. How'd it go? Good. I mean, the team did really well comparatively. Um, but we didn't like, I told them from the beginning, like you're not cutting weight. Now yeah. you can eat healthy and your weight might naturally fall because now you're making healthy choices. But if I have you emaciated and you cut and burn all this muscle off, are you really at peak performance? And so we had a real long discussion at the very beginning of the season about that. Because wrestling is, I, I grew up as a wrestler. I wrestled oh. my whole life. And I cut massive amounts of weight in high school. And I look back and it was stupid. I could have done just as well at the next weight class up. Sure. And I just, because of what was before me, that was just the way it was done, right? You had to cut weight and wrestle the lightest weight you could. And it's, it, it literally, you know, physiologically, like, look, your body will find a sweet spot. Like if you are exercising enough and you're eating properly, especially when you're a teenager, right. your body will find that sweet spot of performance very fast. As you get older, you have to be more careful. But like those high school kids, if they just clean up their diet a little bit with the amount of exercise and lifting and everything they're doing, I mean, really, you have to try to harden to not be just shredded. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you will just recomp fast. Well, and so I had a guy on a couple weeks ago, uh, Dan Huber. I'm yeah. Right. Do you know yeah, Dan? I do. Oh, okay. Spartan Combatus, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've met him a few times. Yeah, Dan's cool Great dude. dude. So, but we were talking and he was talking because we were talking about weight cuts. And yeah. I was like, yeah, man, I remember being in high school, seeing kids wearing trash bags and sweatsuits and spitting into a bucket as much as they possibly could. And I said, so how is that different, you know, than your pro fight yeah. weight cuts? He's like, dude, it's night and day. Like that's, that poor kid has to fight within a couple hours. And he's emaciated and all this stuff. He's like, pro fight. He's like, I have like doctors telling me and like cutting weight appropriately. And I don't have to fight till the next day. Yeah. So I can, I can hook back up with my nutrition, get hydrated. Yeah, they again, can get IVs. Get, they can do all this type of stuff to just rehydrate the body immediately. Yeah. And be like, Hey, and I, there's really not a whole lot of difference in how I feel going into a fight after a weight cut as a pro. And a lot of times they'll cut that, that weight in the last week. Yeah. Cause they'll just manipulate their water. Right. And so, yeah, it was just, but you're right. Too many high school kids are doing the unhealthy thing with the weight cut and diet, man. You yeah, for sure. You can't, you can't wrestle but on but Cheetos. It, but here's the thing. Isn't it interesting? Cause you know, we talk, we're talking about cutting weight and all this other stuff. I, I actually think that there's an equal problem on the other end. You know, we have all these kids that they're, they're not exercising. They're eating nothing but processed foods yep. and, you know, not to, to get into crazy controversial things, but you can rem re remember, you know, the, the, the number one comorbidity that causes problems with COVID is obesity. And I'm just absolutely floored that there hasn't been a larger push nationally, locally from the state level to combat what actually works to reduce obesity rather than these other things. Because listen, we, we say obesity, but if your body mass is out of relation to what your body is capable of 
performing with. It doesn't just, you know, overweight is not just the problem. You know, we have type two diabetes. We have all of these high blood pressure, heart disease. I can go through a million lists. Those are all consequences of having too high of a body mass. And to be honest with you, that's, I, I know it's, people think it is, but it's not that hard to change. No. You just have to find discipline and be in the right circle of people and the right influence and you will change that right if you want to sit on your couch and play video games and eat hot cheetos and suck down you know dr pepper i mean man more power to you but you're not going to be healthy and when disease finds you it's going to find you and hit you really hard so there's a dude i know he is he is a large human being yeah he's like six eight and was well over three bills and was a college college athlete. Yeah. During uh, during all the lockdown stuff and shutdown stuff, I remember I saw him out walking, starting to walk every day. Yeah. Because he was like, he was like, I can't like running is too hard on my body, and some of this other stuff like I just can't do it at this at this weight and size. And the and the other thing that he did, he this guy I think was drinking two or three, thirty two ounce full sugared Cokes a day and he cut out the Cokes. Yeah. I mean, that's started, like 2000 calories yeah, right started, there. Started walking. I hadn't seen him probably in a year. I was out for a walk on Sunday with my wife and I saw him go running by. I, I didn't, I, I had to do a double triple take yeah. to make sure it was him. Cause he'd lost a human. Yeah, in no, like for sure. Yep. Just, I mean, and sure, along the way, right, he probably cleaned up some other aspects of his diet. But isn't that how it works? But Make a good choice. It leads to another good choice, yeah. which leads to another good choice. But just the fact that soda, like that, like just getting rid of that crap, sugar, high fructose. And don't man. get me wrong, man. I love a full-blooded Dr. Pepper. Well, who doesn't? But I, I, I understand the consequences of it. You know, I used to, when I teach these nutrition classes... You know, my wife is like five foot three, five foot four, and like 135 pounds, right? And yeah. so I would take our, you know, Garmin super high tech GPS and wear the heart rate monitor and do all this thing. And I had her run six miles and then I ran six miles. And I'd bring in a 44 ounce Dr. Pepper and I'd bring in a can and I think a can has like 230 calories in it, right? And I'd be like, yeah. well, this is 44 ounces. If you add water, how many ounces of soda? I mean, let's say 32 ounces of soda, you know. 12, 32, let's say 36, you know, do the math. And it's like 700, 600 calories in this 44 ouncer. Yeah. And I go, how far do you have to run to burn the 44 ouncer off? And my wife at 135 pounds, remember it's just physics. She would only burn like 400 calories. Yeah. So she would have to go run six miles and wouldn't even burn off a 44 ounce Dr. Pepper. Whereas me at six, two, six, three, 250 pounds, I'm, I'm burning like a thousand calories in six miles. And I'm like, but here's the thing people don't understand. We both drank the 44-ouncer. Yeah. Life isn't fair, and not everyone metabolizes calories at the same rate, right? I right. mean, big mass requires lots of fuel. So if you are smaller in frame and stature, you're going to have to do a whole lot more work to burn off the same amount of especially drank calories, right? The calories that we just drink in a bottle you know, whether it's beer or whether it's energy drinks or whether it's, you know, Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew or whatever, like, you know, I hate to tell you, it's, it's just the way it, it's the way it is. And if you're eating too many calories, you're going to gain weight. Well, and even different, like, like one of my brothers is, we're roughly similar heights, but dude, he is, he's 
skinny. Like he's not, he's naturally skinny. He's worked very hard to put on mass and stuff, but like he and I are, our, our resting basal metabolic rate is not the same. Oh yeah. Like his is way faster than mine. Right. So like he, he can eat a, he can get away with drinking a a Dr. Pepper. I look at the thing, 20 pounds, (laughs) like, yeah, you know, and so it's also understanding your specific body. Oh, for sure. Your hormone profiles, all of that stuff. I mean, everything. And people don't understand that, you know, the body of the type of exercise you do through your life and through your, my own personal hypothesis is through your developmental teenage years really does kind of set the barometer for the rest of your life. Right. Cause once adult males hit 18 to 20, you're fully matured. Like you're set. Like there isn't a whole lot of huge adaptive changes going on in your body until you start. Like for me, it was like the last three years, right? Like you start hitting your forties and things start changing. And it's one of those things where like people need to understand that the things they do in their early teens, twenties, whatever will come back to haunt you as you get older. Absolutely. Or it'll benefit you in ways. you A thousand percent. Like there's a guy that works out at the gym here. He's 55, I think 55. And I joke, I mean, that dude looks better at 55 than I've probably looked ever like, but it's, but it's because that guy has been in fitness and has been disciplined and dedicated his whole life. Right. So he built that foundation so he can get away with that. But it's interesting. So guys like you and I that are, you know, a little more broad built, right? Yeah. I, I, I talk to people all the time. And they're like, oh, you know, what do you weigh? Well, I'm like, yeah, I'm like 260. I'm like, yeah, yeah but when I turn 50 or 55, I'm going to burn down to about 230. Yeah. Why? I said, mass does not promote longevity in nature, right? right? So as you get older, you need to understand that, look, I mean, even right now, like I'm not going to be setting, I shouldn't say this, but... Like, you know, my, my squat is probably PR'd in the past, right? Yeah. I'm, now I'm trying to hold on for dear life for every pound that I can. Right. And the reality is, is it really does turn into body for life, right? Now it's like, I want to stay strong. I want to keep as much lean mass as I can. Yeah. But the reality is, is as I get older, I need to start training and living for longevity. And I call it, you know, quality of life. Like me and my bo- both my wife, we talk all the time. Like we want to be radically capable into our elder years. Like I don't want to have people have to take care of me because of choices that I made in my life. Like I want to be mentally acute. I want to be physically strong. I want to be able to do all of these things. And those are choices that we have to make now. Right. Right. Do you know who John Rusin is or Russin? He's a, he's a a PT. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I follow him. I follow him on. So he, he, I think he posted something a while ago or, or tweeted, or I don't know, but it came from him and he just said, more, more, more 20 year olds need to train like they're 40 and more 40 year olds need to stop trying to train like you're 20. Yeah. He's like, if longevity is the name of the game, then everybody's got to mix it up a little bit. Well, there's a book, there's a book that I'll I'll leak it here. If any of the football players listen to this, but, um, they're going to have to, so every year I'm the head strength coach for the varsity football team at Queen Creek as well. And I've done the other two levels, summer weights as well. So I make them, they'll have to read a book and they have to do a book report before they show up to summer weights and all this. Well, the book this year is going to be called, it's called Chop Wood, Carry Water. Okay. And it's a phenomenal book for anyone. So if anybody's looking for a good read, but for kids, it's phenomenal because it talks about the consistency of simple work over time is what will achieve mastery. And so rather than trying to, 
do the latest cool thing you saw on Instagram or social media, it really is the getting in the squat rack three times a week and doing back squats and front squats. And it's not this cool, like the 99% of training that the best of athletes in the world are doing is not on social media because it's boring. Yeah. And they've done it for years. And it's that small aggregation of gains over time that truly matters. And this book does a phenomenal job of illustrating that over time. And if you try to cheat and make it faster, the risk of injury and other things will literally just prolong you achieving mastery, right? Right. If you want to cheat the system, there's always a consequence for that. And, you know, we see it all the time. Like if, if, if I want to take extreme risks to do something to make you good right now, the odds are injury risk is really high and you might get good right now, but in a month or two months, how good are you going to be? I didn't, I didn't care about that because the goal is to get you good right now. Right. Yeah. And that's a dangerous road to go down, but it happens. Yeah. And sometimes I'll have, I've had people come to me and say, Hey, I've got this race in in two weeks, yeah, I've got this pain thing going on. I, I, I can't. I'm going to Cabo in a month. Yeah, how do I get shredded? Right. Or they come to me and they're like, "Hey, I'm supposed to come." Like, I had a kid come to me and he goes, "Hey, I'm supposed to be in spring ball in like two weeks." And I, I man, I've had this like hip pain and I've got it, you know. And I go, "Rip, okay." I said, "Here's the thing. We got two options here. We can either bypass spring ball and go." You know, you can participate as like a walk, walking through and being there and being a part part of the team. Or if you feel like you absolutely have to go to spring ball, then guess what? We're going to manage you through spring ball. We're going to manage symptoms. Put the Band-Aid on a bullet yeah. wound. We're going to put the Band-Aid on, yeah. dude, and you may get hurt more, and we'll deal with that after spring ball. But just so you know up front, man, like the risk-reward here, yeah, you, you're going to have a better season if we do it safe effectively and progressively progressive than if we go hey all right let's put let's let's patch you up and then we'll, we'll worry about the consequences afterward yeah for sure i'd be curious because you know in the last probably i don't know as my kids have gotten older and i've 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 been teaching a lot more junior high high school level kids in the past say six or seven years my passion and research for fitness has developed much more in that realm yeah. trying to you know, the, the imprinting, the long-term athlete development model things is I'm, I'm curious as, as a PT, what are you seeing as issues happening in young athletes Yeah, almost because of these consequences or what are the mistakes being made that you're seeing in your practice? Because like I said, I'm dealing with, you know, for football in the summer, it could be 150, 160 kids yeah. a day. And then for wrestling, I had 67 kids sign up for the wrestling team this year. You know, I'm dealing with a lot of kids in one way. And I have some interesting opinions, but I'm curious, like as a you know, physical therapist, what are you seeing in the office? So what I see predominantly, there's a couple things. A, nobody is teaching these kids how to, how to lift weights. Yeah. Nobody's teaching them how to lift weights properly. So I almost to a person have to teach them how to properly squat. So that's one. Two, um, nobody wants, because the, their bodies are changing so fast, a lot of these you know, young men and young women, um, they don't, and they don't want to take the time to do it. They'd rather go out and do their sport or they'd rather go out and buy, you know, 
we did, we did weightlifting. So now I'm done with weightlifting and I'm off to go do whatever it is that I want to do. That's fun. Right? So a general lack of mobility is a big thing that I see, especially in lower half injuries. It's either hip mobility or it's ankle mobility. And nobody wants to work on either one of those things. And a lot of times it's the knee that suffers or they do these, they, they, you know, like back to the other thing, nobody's taught them how to do these. They're doing these Olympic lifts, but nobody's taught them yep. how to do them properly. And then the other thing is that I see, which is what I see with a lot of people, is a way underdevelopment and a way and and no real work on accessory stability, especially at the hip with with glutes. Hundred percent. So those are the things that I see. And then the other one is is absolute and complete overuse from way too early specialization in sport. So I see kids that are starting to specialize in baseball at the age of nine. Oh yeah. And year round club teams, year round club teams. And I'm like, Hey, so when is your off season? They're like, well, we have a break between tournaments for about a week. And I'm like, yo, if pro baseball has an off season, if every pro sport has an off season and those guys spend almost a month of it doing nothing, what on earth makes you think that for this young developing body, that it's going to be good for you to play year round. So I see lots of overuse injuries. So I either see overuse injuries or I see a catastrophic failure of tissue because there's been no progressive overload, no stability, no real training and no time off. For sure. No, it's very, very, very similar to what I'm seeing. I like the, the hip and the knee thing is a big thing for me. Like this last year I've, I've noticed, you know, like you get these kids that come into high school and that's one of the reasons why I have my classes the way I have. I basically take like sixth, seventh and eighth grade and then I take high schoolers. Because before about sixth grade, I've found that a, a adolescent's ability to control their body in space and time, it really depends, in my, in, you know, my opinion, genetically on their nervous system and the way that their nervous system is wired. Some kids can just move. Some kids, you go out and watch a kid's soccer game. Yeah. You'll pick the three kids on the team that can actually run. They can, they're coordinated. And, that, and the rest that, of them are motor morons. 100%. It's, they're all just chasing the ball, kicking each other in the shins, right? Yeah. But it's one of those things where like those kids... Yeah, they, 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 you know, when the sperm hit the egg, certain things happened that helped them develop a nervous system that, that was much more capable than the average general population. But by sixth grade, kids need to start because now we're talking prepubescent, right? Now we're talking close to peak height velocity of, of adolescence growth and all those types of things. Whereas I find that, you know, why in the world are we teaching kids how to power clean if they don't know how to front squat? You know, where, where is our unilateral work? Where is our strengthening and teaching them to use the posterior chain versus, you know, and, and I, I sit here and like, I try to teach the things that you're talking about, hip mobility through movement. Right. So well, like, yeah, no, the huge difference between flexibility, and mobility. Right? Yeah. So like, like I take a 20 inch, if I take a 20 inch plyo box and I have a kid do a single leg squat standing on the box. Yeah. You think of the structure of the hip and the knee that's required in the stability of standing and having one foot off the box and go all the way down to the floor. I mean, that's it's basically a pistol squat without having to hold your leg out in front. Yeah. Well, that knee has to travel so far over the toe. Well, when we front squat, what happens to the knee? Goes over the What toe. happens when we jump? What happens yeah. when we change direction? What happens in the field of play? That knee travels valgus over the toe. It travels in all directions, depending on whether I'm decelerating, accelerating, cutting direction. But to me, when I when I see these kids and we're trying to develop, I call it resiliency, right? We're trying to make them anti-fragile. Right. And 
it's not one time, it's not 20 times. It's the fact that these kids have stressed and put their knees in these position in a controlled environment thousands of times before they go to the field because you will never replicate in the gym the, the speed of play. But what we're trying to do is increase the tolerances of the tissues of the body so that when that extreme situation happens, it's within the safe tolerances of the tissue, right? And if we don't do those things, catastrophic failures happen, right? right? Well, and, and your tent, I mean, you see these dudes, the guys who are powerlifting, who are going unenhanced, right? Who are yeah. raw powerlifting, yeah. like the fact that those tissues, your, 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 your body tendons and ligaments and bones can handle eight, nine, 700 pounds. Oh, yeah. Like they can handle it if progressively loaded properly. Oh yeah. Right. So if your body can withstand a 900 pound or an 800 pound force, when you're out on the field, right? You're not necessarily going to get hit with eight or 900 pounds. You might get an 800 pound or a 600 pound pulse. Yeah. Right. Yep. Due to velocity yep. plus 100%. force. Yep. Well, guess what? Your tissue is going to handle it. Yep. Instead of, well, oh, okay. We didn't work out or we didn't train hard enough. Yeah. And I like that you talk about the unilateral stuff because all the time I have people who are like, oh yeah, no, my, my, my squat's fine. I'm like, cool. Show me your right leg. Just yeah. down to this 20 inch box. Yeah. I just want you to sit down on the box on a right leg. And they go, oh, okay. And they do it. And then I go, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was fair. And then they go on their left leg and I'm like, holy crap. You have no control over that leg. Like that on that side. I'm just like, sorry, you don't own your squat. Well, and, and a bunch of tempo. You know, tempo stuff exposes tons of weakness. Oh, yeah. If I slow you way down in the eccentric phase of a movement, oh my gosh. Because how many people, you know, they just fall. Nobody, yeah. And nobody yeah. wants to train tempo because yeah. it's boring. And it's and it hard. Hurts. It hurts. Right? Like yeah. you throw 225 on your back and you do a five. You second do a, descent. Yeah. yeah, you do a five second descent. You do a two second or three second hold in the bottom and then ask them to explode out of yeah. the bottom. That's... My high school kids do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did a workout the other day where we were doing Bulgarian. Oh, it was so it was so awful. We were doing tempo Bulgarians, combined supersetted with box jumps. Yeah, that's brutal. It was off. I almost. I have not. I can't tell you the last time I've split my shins. And I I can box jump forty plus inches. Yeah. I mean, I'm deceptively yeah. deceptively yeah. nimble for. Oh a, yeah, he's for an a, athlete for a, for a for a big fella, but I almost split my shin on thirty. Oh yeah, because I was I was not prepared. For the, well, the fatigue, you right, know, for, for that, the fatigue. neural and muscle fatigue going yeah. on. Yeah. So that's interesting. So, yeah. So how do you, do you train your, do you train your wrestlers and your football, football players. players differently? I do. Okay. Just like based how? on the sport. So they'll all do basic movements. Like we still stick to, you know, front squats, back squats, goblet squats, all that kind of stuff. The basic movements just for overall body strength. But for my wrestlers, rather than focus like on the bench press, we do a lot more pulls. Oh, yeah. And we do a ton of, you know, Westside Barbell calls it GPP. Like I, I have sled pulls, farmer yeah. walks, plate pinches. We do a ton of that type of stuff. Sled pulling from the waist, pulling from the hands, pulling it backwards, you know, walking with uh, the trap bar loaded for, you know, a quarter of a mile. Yeah. You know, it's just I want to load their core and I want them to just be – you know, you call it back in the day, it was just called farm work, right? You had to right. buck hay and do all that stuff and carry the buckets of, of well, there's milk. There's a reason back and why forth. dudes from Iowa, from the Midwest, yeah. right? These 
that 100%. they were amazing wrestlers. Yeah, and so we spend a lot of time working on those attributes of strength, hanging from a bar a lot. Like that's something that I think is radically underrated. And I've heard it talked about a little bit recently, but like I, when my kids first started my kids' class, like every day we would hang from a bar for time. And until the kids could just grab the bar and hang with their own body weight for like a minute and 30 seconds, their grip wasn't adequate, right? And because here's what people don't understand. Like if you first start weightlifting, if I just improve your grip, it will improve your bench press. It'll improve your back squat. You know, there, there was a study I read that it was kind of funny is they, they declared your grip strength had a correlation to your mortality. Yeah. So like the weaker your grip is, the greater your chances are you're going to die. Well, and sure. Yeah, but it was one of those things to where like, as you improve your grip, it improves every other aspect of your strength. Like think of a deadlift, right? Yeah. Why do people put straps on? Because well, they can't grip it. Because they can't grip it. But if you're strong enough to grip it, guess what? You're strong enough to probably lift it. Yeah. And usually the grip is the first thing to go. Well, and the so. other thing is, is people don't, so I hook grip. Yeah, everything, for sure. right? Um, you know, you can't, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who can just grip a bar and, and deadlift 450 or five, yeah. 600 pounds, right? But like, so I hook grip it, but most people, it hurts. Yeah. It hurts to, to, to hook grip 100%. a bar. But it's like the, when people start front squats, like I teach front squats yeah. before I teach back squats to my kids. That's what you, yeah. So I teach, I start with a goblet squat. Okay. And then we go to a front squat. Yeah. And I have found that if I teach back squat first, I have much more problems with chest collapsing and falling over. Yeah. Whereas if I teach them to load anteriorly, I load them from the front with a goblet squat, then depth is never a problem. And I also get that knee travel over the toes, which I think is very good. And if I goblet squat, then elbows generally go between the knees. Yep. And so what does that force the knees to do? To knees travel wider, over yeah. the toes, right? And so then I go to that, and then I go to front squat. And I go to front squat one because I still like the front load. It forces their chest to stay upright. Their butt sits right between their heels because eventually I want them to learn the Olympic lifts. The other thing is that it's uncomfortable. For the first month, my wrists hurt, coach. My elbows, got to keep your elbows up. As you go down, you got to drive your elbows up. And once we get past that first month, then I don't ever hear about them complaining about their wrists or their elbows or anything because their tissue adapts, right? Yeah. So now they have the flexibility in their wrists and all those things, and it transfers to a lot of other gymnastics and type movements. But then when I go to back squats, it would feel weird to their body to lean forward with a yeah. bar. So even though we've moved the bar behind the head, the odds of them now having a problem of this almost good morning squat that yeah. at, you know, adolescents and especially beginners yeah. have, I, I pretty much can eliminate it by going through that progression. Well, and, and so I actually, when I'm reintroducing squats to people that have either like post-op hip or knee, or even if they're back pain, right? Yeah. We go with a goblet first, move into front squats and then try to move our way into back squats. Right. Um, helps load their core better. Helps. Yeah. But even like, so going to that, like back pain for sure. Like I, I herniated L5 S1 at, at my job really yeah. bad. And I studied a lot of Dr. Stuart McGill stuff. Yeah. He's the man. And so I went through all of this stuff and I, Kelly Starrett and all these guys. And I came to the conclusion that probably a radically high percentage, I don't even know what it would be, 80, 90%, engage their core improperly, right? Yeah. Rather than engaging in the middle uh -huh. and then going out, yep. we want to engage the extremes and come in. And when we teach, and I, I try to teach this to my high school kids, you know, how to brace your core properly rather than like 
trying to pull the belly in or push the belly out, that it's this 360 degree pressure. And I go, listen, you know, like when you cough, you brace 360 degrees. Yeah. So how do I teach you to hold that position? Because if I can teach you to brace properly, yeah. your spine doesn't move and you can't hurt it. Make them squat with a balloon in their mouth. That'll work. I'll have to try yeah, it. Because, yeah, think about it. Yeah. You got to blow a yeah, balloon up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So when I'm trying to teach people proper diaphragmatic breathing, yeah, right? Because yeah. well, that's what that's really what's at stake here is, is your, your diaphragm. None of us breathe properly. Yeah, we anymore, breathe too shallow. Right, we breathe too shallow. Lungs. We yep. use our intercostals. Yeah. Right, so when you're breathing in, as you're getting ready to brace, and you're trying to increase that intra-abdominal pressure, yeah, you want to make sure that your diaphragm is engaged, so that then you can create more air. That 360, and then. And yeah, then really create that, yeah, create that yeah. intra-abdominal pressure. So, you know, if you're coughing, right, you're 360, you're coughing. It's the same thing. If you're really trying to blow into a balloon. See, I lay kids on their back. Yeah. And I put their arms over their head. Uh-huh. And I say, where are your ribs? Yeah. Did they come up? I uh-huh. go, now pull your ribs down. And they all look at me like funny. And I go, cough, but keep yeah. your hands on your ribs. And when they cough, their ribs pull straight down. And I go, okay, now I want you to cough, but I want you to hold them down. Yeah. Now I want you to take a big, deep breath and pull your ribs down. That's how I want you to brace yeah. when you perform a squat. So I like then I have this. them all stand up, take a big deep breath, cough, pull the ribs down, hold that. And it seems to solve a lot of my problems. Absolutely. No, the problem is, is like everything, 50% of the kids are listening, 50% of the kids sure. aren't. Well, and the other thing is I've actually, so that, that idea of like, because I, I have had people breathe with the balloon, yeah. right? To try and get them to, to engage and use their diaphragm better. And, but I've actually, I've yet to do it with somebody squatting. That was just, I just, yeah. I'm like, dude, put a balloon in their mouth. Why not? Like, yeah. see how it goes. Um, the other thing is, is what's cool is starting your kids off with that front squat and why you probably, you're, you're also working mobility with them while teaching them how to squat. 100%. Right. Like, and it's, you're teaching them on that front squat. They have to go down yeah you can't go back which yeah. is that old school like power lifting your, right? your knees should never go out over yeah. your toes yeah. right yep. you gotta and hey if you want to be a competitive power lifter then awesome then you know more power to you you can west side box squat all day long i personally do it as well yeah but i think i should be training you in all modalities right so if we're going to squat you should be able to perform every aspect from a unilateral to a pistol to a front to a back to a box like all of them, right? I mean, you should be able to. You should own the position, the shapes, the all whole thing. And if you're, and if you're a if, wrestler, if you're an athlete, yeah. you have to. Yeah, and if you're a wrestler, you should have freaking. I don't know if uh, anybody listening, if you've ever been gripped on the wrist by a wrestler, it feels like your wrist is going to break. I mean, oh, they're yeah. not they're not bending your wrist back; they're just grabbing your bone out of your wrist, and it feels like it's getting, they got vices for grip. So yeah, you have to have grip. They've got to be able to be mobile. Like wrestling is no joke. Yeah, you have to be strong in very odd, awkward positions. That's yeah. why gymnastics transfers very well to wrestling. I mean, so there's a lot of. Do you do a lot of gymnastics training with your guys? We do. There, there's a so I follow a lady. I'm trying to get together to see if I can get my kids to a camp. Carolyn Wester is her name. Wrestling Prep is what she runs. Oh, cool. And, dude, she has some, it's like next level stuff, especially for young kids for teaching. You know, she she calls it math-based wrestling, but it's okay. like it's creating certain positions and teaching kids to be strong in certain positions that are very awkward. So it's lots of like back handsprings, back handspring flips, you know, twisting from very odd positions, you know, sure. knees to feet to front handsprings to back handsprings to, you know, to a cartwheel, to a lunge, to all of these. And it's 
chain, like wrestling is chaining. Like you have to chain your moves together and all of these movements are chained together. So you're literally just programming the nervous system to just constantly be chaining yeah. positions and movements together so that when you get into a match, it's no big it, deal. Yeah. You, it's like, it's like preloading the program, right? right? It's the matrix. So here's a question. So we're talking about awkward positions, moving, and we talked a little bit about spine. What are your thoughts on the Jefferson curl? Uh, you know, gimmick, I, gimmick or nah? No, I just think look, there's a place and time for all things. Yeah. It's just not something I'd put as like a staple oh, in no, my absolutely program, not. right? No. But I, but I, I, I am not one of those like listen that I would never take a tool out of my toolbox even if I only used it every couple of years, right? And you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are instances and places where I would use it, but it would be pretty infrequent and with very specific athletes, sure. So what are you doing now? So that's how you train your wrestlers. How are you different with your football players? Um, we do a lot of base raw strength, and then we do explosive movement almost every day. Okay. So we work on their maximal strengths, but not just their maximal strengths. Like we try to focus on, as I watch the group, because look, trying to, you know, coaching one kid to coaching five kids to coaching 10 kids to having a class of 60, right? So when the varsity group comes in, it's 40 to 60 kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to evaluate the entire group and look at what the trends are. Where is the group weak? Where is the group strong and spend our time working on the weaknesses while we improve the strengths. Now we have to remember that almost all of these kids have a very low training age, right? Probably yeah. 90% you see it and you've already talked about it. When they start high school, that's when they learn how to lift weights. Yeah, like, that might be some of their first weight classes. 100%. I mean, because look, let's let's be honest. You know, if you're in a junior high and you got 40 kids in your weights class and you got 45 minutes, to trying to herd junior high kids with 40 kids is like herding cats. Like it's it's hard. And so those guys and are not, doing their best, but it, it, it's almost mission impossible. And not many not many kids have a dad like you yeah. or like some of the other guys yeah, they don't that you care know, right that that like work out with their kids or take them to the gym or if well remember to... remember junior high like junior high is generally for most kids the hardest two years because you've either started to hit puberty or you're a late bloomer yep and it really sucks to be the late bloomer and yep. so you have a class where some kids are studs and they've already got you know ready to go get tattoos <laughs> And you have one kid that doesn't have an armpit hair to save his life, and he's you know graduating eighth grade. Right, one's already been to prison, has a mustache, yeah, seriously, and, and, a, and an apartment. It's just very different. So when they get to high school, they have to learn. So we always will stick to a major movement. But I spend a lot of time with my underclassmen going through the progressions, but then teaching how to do a. I, I generally will stick to power cleans and power snatches. Okay, why? Because generally, as a group of fifty to have the stability and strength and to watch 50 kids performing full cleans or a full snatch. I mean, yeah. grab, grab, grab 40 high school kids, give them a broomstick and tell them to do an overhead squat and look at mobility, <laughs> right? Even athletes. Yeah. yeah. And you have to look at a cost benefit reward. Like I can get the explosive power and velocity training from a power clean and a power snatch just as well as I could from a full clean or a full snatch. And we do front squats. We do all these things, but I'm going, am I training these kids to be Olympic weightlifters right. or am I training them to be football players? And so when I look at the shapes, when I catch a full clean in the bottom of a front squat, where do you see that position on a football field? On the line. Yeah. And, and even then by the time contact is made with another athlete, they're no longer 
yeah. in that bottom crouched position. It's, right? a fr- it's, it's coming out of a front squat. Exactly. And so that's where, you know, I've just basically myself for risk management and all these other things is, look, it's real easy because, look, I can teach 40, 50-year-old people that have never done Olympic weightlifting out of power snatch. Yeah. Because they don't have to overhead squat. No. I just have to teach them how to keep the bar in a proper position so that they can move. And they'll get the same velocity and power and strength benefits from that. Yeah. So we do some type of, and it doesn't have to be Olympic weightlifting, trap bar jumps, med ball throws, something high speed throwing. Because I believe this spectrum of strength, right? There's yeah. slow strength, speed strength, explosive strength, velocity. There's all these things and strength is a spectrum. If we just lift heavy weights, you lift heavy weights very slow. Yeah. Now I'm activating a lot of motor units. I'm activating a lot of muscle fibers, but I'm activating them very slow. So we actually spend a fair amount of time, you know, we just thought yesterday, we did speed squats. So they'll load up 40 to 60% of their one rep max, and every 40 seconds, we will do three back squats as quickly as we possibly can, and then rack the bar. Yeah, You know, the, the distance in a tempo football game of, a play clock is about 40 seconds. So we do a lot of time duration. Look, I'm training them to be better football players. I'm not training them to be weightlifters. I'm not training them to be Olympic weightlifters. Everything we need to do in that gym is to make them anti-fragile. Right. So how often are you thinking about, I mean, it sounds like it, but thinking about like energy systems, mitochondria, right? Like All how, the time. you know, All like the time. these guys, I mean, it sounds like it with the 40 seconds. Well, and it's three to seven, to... like, you know, football players, three to seven seconds. Yeah. Right. So we spend early. So like when summer comes, we will spend the first few weeks working on a little, you know, it wouldn't be an aerobic base, but it would be the 20 to 30 second, you know, energy system. Because sure. look to go out and run two miles with a football team is absolutely insane, right? Yeah. But when we are doing three reps every 40 seconds for 10 minutes, the average heart rate of that athlete for the 10 minutes is elevated. So yeah. I'm getting aerobic work in while we're in the weight room. I don't have to go out and run. It's like my wrestlers. Like there's this this history of like, you know, wrestling is a six-minute, two, there's three two-minute periods. And all these wrestlers, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, they just go run. They run miles and miles and miles. And I go, why are you going and running six miles? That's 40, 50, 60 minutes. You're going to wrestle for three, two minute periods. And you get, you go out of bounds, you get a 20 second break. Yeah. The end of the period, you get a 20 to 30 second break. Like, why aren't you training for the energy system? Now, that being said, I understand that an aerobic base clears out lactate and does all these things is very, very important, even for power lifters, right? but I can do that in the weight room by just keeping you moving, right? right? A farmer walk, drag a sled. It doesn't have to be heavy, but if you drag a sled a half a mile and it takes you 20 minutes, guess what? That's aerobic Absolutely. work. And I didn't have to go send you out and run and I don't have the wear and tear on your joints and your shins and all those types of things. So I try to get creative with my aerobic capacity type work. You ever doing Tabata with those guys? Yeah, especially on the air bikes. Like okay. For wrestling, I love the air bikes. I wish I had more rowers, I don't, but yeah. we have seven air bikes in the wrestling room. We do a ton because I need both hemispheres of their body working, right? Right. And so that's really important in their conditioning work to, to, to focus on that. So energy systems is the key along with the modality of strength that is required yeah. in the sport. Wrestling is a much more strength endurance sport, right? You need bouts of explosive energy. But the reality is, is you can't maintain explosive power for two straight minutes. Sure. Now, do you get down into like the minute, like sport, like position specific? 
training? Like, do you have, Hey, your linemen, you guys have this workout today? No, I just, because I don't have the person. It's just me. You just don't have the personnel, yeah, for not it. the personnel and the space. I mean, right. uh, 50, 60, 70 kids in a 5,000 square foot weight room with 14 squat dude, racks. That's a, that's a tough job, man. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'll tell I, you. Because knowing you, I bet you're like, okay, linemen should be doing yeah, 100%. this. Yeah, 100%. There's like, a huge difference between what I would ideally do yeah, for each one and right? what reality like allows us to do. skill positions and even divided up between running backs and wide receivers, right? Should be doing Each should be doing something different. Oh, versus, yeah. Do you know who Dr. Uh, – he goes by Dr. Reef on mm. Instagram. No, don't uh, listen to me. Dude, I'll send him to you. He's, I'll show it to you real quick. He's a physical therapist, but he's also got probably some other um, credentials. But he's he train he had Alvin Kamara in his in his place and a bunch of these other dudes. But he's always doing like he's got some kind of far out stuff that he does. Yeah. But like here's him working with one of these dudes. Oh yeah. But like he had his, some receivers like standing single leg on a Bosu looking over there looking up to the ceiling while he's throwing balls over their head and they're catching them and throwing them back. Like just the level of balance and stuff that they have. See, to- and like I look at that type of stuff and if you're in the NFL or That's- you're a high level college guy, awesome. Yeah. But a high school kid, no. he would, he would be wasting. But, but see, the problem is that the high school kids see the pros do that yeah. and they think that's what they should be doing. And they don't understand that that guy's already spent the first, you know, 15 years of his life doing all the things that you're doing. And Back that's the what's crap next that nobody for him. Likes. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I've, the Moranovich brothers, I don't know if you've followed them very huh. much. So no, I should. They, they're very, very interesting, you know, uh, Jay Schroeder back in the day. So I was actually going to talk to you about Jay. Yeah. And do you try and implement any of that stuff? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I, dude, I, right. I will read and I will study anybody. And so, you know, I actually went and got evaluated by Jay back in the day and got oh, did workouts you? and He's stuff. He's actually a dude that I, I wanted, I want to try and talk to on here. Oh, he'd be but a hoot, was, I'm sure. I was talking to my brother, Nate, because Nate used to work out yeah. with him. But Nate's like, dude, I haven't talked to that guy in like 20 years. He's I'm in like, Minnesota now. Oh, is he? I'm like, yeah, I Charles. No- so you might be able to get Charles. Charles runs. Charles Mock, I believe. That's who was there when I was there. Yeah. He he runs his facility in Albuquerque. Evo Sport? Yeah, Evo Sport. Okay. But now a lot of it is just pro athletes, and he does a lot of his art machine stuff. Yeah. But the thing is, is so like when I, when I met them, and I went there and got evaluated, and I did all these things... It was right when I started reading, you know, Mel Siff's super training and the theory and practice of strength training and all of these old, you know, look, they're, they're still cutting edge books in today's society, but they were written literally, like, you know, in the 70s, 50 years ago. Yeah. And it's crazy because you go back and I discovered really early on, and I think it was, I was very, very blessed to do so in my you know, I, I I got into training other people and, and studying physiology and all this other stuff to, for the police games. Like I was just selfish. I wanted to be better. Like yeah. I needed to be a six foot three, two hundred and thirty pound guy that could run a five k faster, right? And I was already fast, and so people, I'd go to, I'm like, hey, you know, can you give me some advice? And they'd be like, hey, hey, bud, you're already running really freaking fast for a guy your size. Why don't you just be grateful for that and move on? And I'd be like, that's an unacceptable answer. Like that's not what I asked. Yeah, you for. exactly. And so I, I would meet, and so like Coach Mike Gray at Central Arizona College, you know, this has to be 15, 16 years ago, he was like the three-time national cross-country coach of the year, something like that. And I didn't realize he was in our back door. I literally sent him an email and asked him, hey, I, my, this is my name. This is what I'm doing. I was wondering if I could come down and meet you. I rode on the golf cart with him, you know, while he was setting up the course 15 years ago. And yeah. 
he he blew my mind because at the time I ran cross country in high school. I ran track. Did yeah. you really? Oh yeah. I was oh, I the, the six foot three, 200 pound cross country runner. Yeah. Because all I cared about was wrestling. And I thought at the time that running would help me for wrestling. Gotcha. And so when I met him, I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm running a 20 minute 5k. And he's like, that's pretty dang good. You know? And I was like, but I need to run faster. And he goes, okay, well tell me what you're doing. And I said, well, I'm running five miles, four days a week. And then I do speed work at yeah. least one day a week. And he goes, I'm going to ask you a question. So your goal is to run 3.1 miles fast and you're running five miles slow. How do you think running five miles is going to make you run three miles fast? And I'm like, well, you just because, feel like- because that's what I was taught and right. that's what Runner's World Magazine and all these people said. And he's like, well, think about this. If I, want to, if I can't run three miles fast enough now, I'm training my body to run five miles slow. You have to stop running so far. And the first other place I'd heard that was Jay Schroeder, right? Yeah. And it was one of those where like, you need to do math. <laughs> and you need to figure out if you want, like, you know, for easy math, if you want to run a four minute mile, right. You have to run 60 second four hundreds. Yeah. Right. You have one minute to run one lap. Yeah. Well, if you can't run one lap in one minute, how far can you run at that pace? Oh, so what you do is you step on the track and you put on, you know, these fancy watches we have now yeah. and you tell it to beep when you fall off pace. So let's say you can run 300 meters at a 60 second pace. The second you can no longer maintain that pace, you stop. Got it. And you rest. And then you start again after you've rested. And the theory is, is you will force your body to adapt, to change. Yeah. So what I basically did is he said, you're running too much with all the other work you're doing. So I ran three days a week. My workout was never farther than a short warm up. And the longest workout I had was three one mile reps at sub race pace. Okay. Each mile, I could not rest longer than five minutes, but ideally it needed to be less than two and a half. Okay. So I could run a mile, rest up to five minutes, run a mile, rest up to five minutes, run a mile. And as long as all three of those miles were faster than my goal race pace, that was a successful workout. And the theory is, is Interesting. I'm teaching my body to be comfortable at the pace that I want it to run. And so I went from a 20 minute 5k to a 17 minute 5k Holy in about crap. four months. Dude, that's, that's and a lot of time. I remember I'm now running three days a week instead of five days a week. And all I was doing was training more intelligently. Yeah. Now here's the, the, you know, big coming back circle. I learned that you, people have to stop thinking about training muscles and think about training the motor units and the nervous system that activates the muscle because the muscle is stupid. Right? Yeah. It only does what the motor unit tells it to do, right? The motor unit will tell it which fibers to activate, how hard for them to activate, all these things, right? And so the reality is, is if you want to be a bodybuilder, go train your muscles, right? You, yeah. you, you want to isolate this muscle. But if you want to be an athlete, you need to train your nervous system yeah. to do what you want it to do. And so it, it, it blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. And so then when I met Jay and I talked to him, I'm realizing... Look, you know that graph that has like five circles in it and they all overlap? Yeah, and then everybody that diagram. Will, you know, the little, the little, you know, this is where they all overlap. Yeah. Well, guess what? The best trainers in the world, no matter what they're training, 
they all overlap a lot more than people want to think. And it's purely based on the fact that they understand that it's the nervous system and the neurology that matters versus who cares about the muscle, right? It's really truly how we teach the body to activate the muscles in a proper way. You know, order like when I if I took somebody who who's an uh, 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 intermediate lifter, yeah, and I put them on a, a squat program, and we do a squat every day program, right? In three weeks, when we have a forty pound PR, did they really get forty pounds stronger? No, they just improved their neurological efficiency. 100%. Right, yeah. their body learned how to be more efficient in that motor pattern. Well, and that's why new lifters like they, they make these huge gains, right? And and it's great because it spurs them on but then as soon as the prs start coming harder and harder right and you've you've done a you've done a a 12 or 16 week cycle to improve your pr by three pounds right they go well screw this well here's the funny part so i've lifted you know my whole life basically since eighth grade i'm closer to 50 than i am to 40 now and i look at and i go this was probably three years ago maybe two years ago I bought a velocity-based tracking system for a barbell. Oh, cool. So I bought it, and it's a little magnet, and it puts on there, and there's an app on my phone, and it tells me how many meters per second the bar is traveling because now I'm trying to be very specific with my velocity-based training. So I did a squat program that I've done before, and all I did was try to focus on the velocity of the bar. So I still did the weights that the squat program told me. Sure. All I was doing now was trying to move the bar as quickly as I could when I was doing the program. I saw another 20 pound PR doing a program that was giving me a five pound PR before just purely on the attention to velocity of bar travel. It was intention of movement, right? 100%. Now I had something I was competing against well, and, and it changed to, everything. And you have to generate far more force to move the bar yeah. faster, right? Yeah. So no, it totally, I mean, it, the it, intent in which you are lifting weights is radically more powerful than people think. And that's, you know, look, everybody has days where they show up to the gym and they just need to go through the motions and get it done that day. But if you want to be an elite level athlete, it's the intention and the psychological focus that you can bring to those movements that truly will separate you from the back. Well, and it's the same thing I see like in physical, th- in physical therapy, I've got people like I see therapists who are doing the same old kind of old school do some band work, that kind of stuff. Um, but then I see other people who are doing really great exercise, corrective exercise, strengthening with people. And, and it's all about what's the intent of the exercise. Right? Oh yeah, and it's like, hey, we're doing this to develop a nervous system. We're doing this to to make you stronger. We're doing this, but yeah, the intention behind what you're doing makes all all the difference in the world. Hello, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll cut that out. All right, we're good. Yeah, um, just had to check. See, he's got a very important date that he's yeah, got to get to. Seriously, got to keep mama happy. <laughs> Absolutely, but um, but yeah, Jay Schroeder, man, that guy. Mad, mad scientist. Oh, for sure. He he took things to crazy extremes, right? And you got to understand when you read the old Russian textbooks and stuff where Jay got a lot of his ideas, yeah. pretty much all of them, is, you know, we're talking, you know, Cold War communist country. Like if they broke you doing something extreme, they didn't care. They had 10 more of you behind, right? Like right. that's why in the U.S. it's a little bit harder to try to follow these methodologies that and, you know, if you've seen the documentary Icarus and all these other things, like they have a, a you know, a government sanctioned doping program, right? right? So it's one of those things to where they're pushing the envelope on everything because they wanted to be a superior athletic, you know, country in the world. Well, and it felt like he brought that mindset to his gym. Like if you couldn't, if you couldn't hack it, 
He goes, get out. Yeah, you're done. And get, it was, get, you and were there going was to no, fail. And there was no second chance. No, if you, fa- he wanted to fail, he wanted to crush you. He wanted to, you wanted to fail all the time. Like, and to I, see if you'd come back. Oh, 100%. When I did, so like I said, I went there. Um, Charles did this whole evaluation, all these things. And then I came back and they put me through the workout that they had written. And I was there for a couple of hours. And, and I'm a pretty stubborn guy. I mean, I, I had done really well. I, I hadn't. I'm not sure if I was done with the police games yet or if it was just before. But when I walked out of his gym, I literally sat in my car and I, I didn't want to put my hands on the steering wheel. Like my body was so exhausted and so tired and so fatigued because I had failed so many times and pushed past failure so many times. You know, it was like David Goggins-esque, right? I mean, you just, you literally just found every limit you had and he just kept pushing and then you, I got my car. Like I just didn't want to move for about ten minutes. And Dude, I'm lucky. I, I went. I'm lucky I didn't get rhabdo. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. That's definitely a. When I look back, I, I, I may have been really close. <laughs> I, I remember. I, the first day I went, the next morning I woke up because I sleep on my stomach yeah. as a, as a twelve year old. Yeah. I woke up. My arms were stuck. Yeah. Because there was so much inflammation, I had to like physically move stuff, and that was just an agony. But he made people really strong. But, bro, I stuck to his program. Yeah. And in, like, two months, you know, I was just working out at LA Fitness back in the day. And in two months, I had people literally like, dude, what are you on? Yeah. Because I was eating like a horse, but the workouts were, like, two and a half hours long and a whack. And, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. But, I mean, dude, I, I got wicked strong, and I put on a lot of size. But, like, I ended up separating both my AC joints. I mean, there were, there were consequences. Yeah for not being an enhanced lifter and all those types of things that my body suffered. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if I could have just done this a little more intelligently, yeah, I could have seen all the gains and not taken some of the risks. Well, yeah. I remember Nate, I mean, Nate got super strong. He, he put on, everybody thought he was on, on. Roots. Oh yeah. hundred percent. He put on 25, 20, 25 pounds of muscle in, in like three months. But don't you think like, I look back and that's where like, Everybody thinks they work hard. Everybody thinks they do a lot, but you don't understand the level at which yeah. the work that is required when you do things like that. Like that's why like I, I love David Goggins. I think he's phenomenal. He's yeah. an insane person, but I think he's radically dangerous for the general population. Yeah, no, he's mental, right? Because I literally sit here and I'm like, bro, like people should not just get out there couch and think they're going to go walk a hundred miles. Like, yeah. you know, you broke every bone in your feet, you know, like think about this, yeah. man. Like, but I sit here and I go like, I forget who the journalist was that had David Goggins live with him for a month. Okay. Because he, he, he like wrote a book and that was his thing. Like he yeah. met David Goggins, come live with me for a month. And David Goggins took it to the gym and he's like, Hey, do some pull-ups. And he does like, you know, six pull-ups. He's like, okay, do, do another set of pull-ups. He does another set of pull-ups. He does like four, do another set of pull-ups. He does two. And he goes, Okay, we're not leaving the gym till you do a hundred more. Yeah. And the guy's like, I can't do a hundred more. He goes, Well, then we're gonna be here a really long time. Yeah. Who's... And he said it took him like an hour and a half. Yeah. And he cranked them out one or two at a time and he did a hundred. And I'm going, Bro, that's that's the Jay Schroeder mentality. Like, yeah. listen, like you can leave when your work is done. And people don't understand that there is a radical physiological and biological power behind that because when you think about the body its whole job is to adapt and survive. Yeah. And unless the external stimulus is radically extreme, yeah. it will adapt very slowly. Right. But if there is an extreme external stimulus on the body, the body can adapt extremely fast. Oh, yeah. 
The problem is, is there's usually this risk reward factor, right? Right. But if you can control those parameters, I'm like, man, people could see gains significantly faster. We're just not tough enough to do it. No, I mean, that's, that's why he was having people like bench press 180. Like he was having people drop 185 pounds from the full extended position. I was doing drop catch zercher squats. Yes. Like, dude. But, but he, that was his thing, right? At least for Nate, when Nate was talking about it, like football's a game of collisions. Yeah. We got to train your nervous system to to absorb force, to absorb force and to violently push it back. Yeah. And, and they did, dude. And it works. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh the human body the, we haven't even begun to tap like it's crazy what the some people touch it what the human body's capable of but like you said a lot of us aren't a don't want to put in the work or b the the risk we end we we meet the risk side of that but yeah man no it's it's uh, the human body's cool crazy so well um dude where can people if they want to follow along. So I'm on Instagram at, at blackboxaz. Okay. Um, that's pretty much where I'm at. I mean, yeah. I have a Facebook page, but it's just, I don't ever post there. Sure. It's to, you know, make sure I don't miss people's birthdays. Co- and, yeah, cover yeah. cover my bases. Not have one. to email people, right? And just follow up on what's going on in everybody else's life. But on Instagram, at blackboxaz is uh-huh. where you can find me. Um, and then if you want to see the handiwork, go to catch Queen Creek High School football. Or yeah, yeah, Queen for Creek sure. Wrestling. Queen Creek Wrestling. Yeah. So this was our first year. It was awesome. You know, we're on on the build. We had four seniors, four juniors, and all sophomores and freshmen out of like 67 kids. So oh, dude, the good. future is bright. Absolutely. Well, awesome, dude. We'll get you off the off to that date. Man. Hey, thank you very much, man. It's great being here. I'll see you.